0: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash
2: thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Tim Condor. He is co-founder and CEO of Blackbird. He is also president and COO of Tilt Holdings. We're going to find out a little bit more about the businesses, his experiences as an entrepreneur, what they're doing in the cannabis space. This is going to be an interesting conversation. I love kind of the logistics and how the industry actually runs. I think a lot of people focus on you know the plants and cultivars and all the kind of aspects of the product, but we forget as an industry that uh, there's a lot of behind the scenes mechanics logistics. That has to really work well for this industry to grow and scale and Tim and his companies are focusing on that. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Tim, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, so let's start with background. I'm always curious how people got into business, how people got into the cannabis space. What was the uh, kind of founding story here in terms of you starting as an entrepreneur and then starting uh, in the cannabis space? What's the story?
3: Yeah, so I worked as a bicycle messenger, actually, as sort of my background. I sort of had a varied background, actually. I was in construction for you know about a decade and then a bike messenger for several years and ended up starting my own bicycle. Bicycle Messenger Service in Reno, Nevada, Mm. after working in San Francisco and New York for a number of years, you know, basically on the thesis that while bicycle messenger services were suffering in larger metropolitan areas, that a relationship based courier service could succeed in a third market like like Reno yeah. and I started that business in 2008 right before the economic downturn and despite the downturn we managed to build that business into sort of a statewide delivery service with a number of employees and positive revenues uh, over the course of essentially about a decade yeah. and in Early 2015, we saw an opportunity to pivot that business, which mostly at the time serviced like attorneys and, and you know sure. contractors and architects, into cannabis. And so we did just that. We um, knew some individuals that were awarded licenses here in Nevada. We reached out to them to see if you know d- transportation and delivery would be of interest and help their business. And they were like, "Yeah, this is it's a something that's." Really, really missing from the industry, and so we did just that. We pivoted our bicycle messenger business into cannabis through ourselves, sort of headfirst into navigating the <laughs> regulatory <laughs> landscape. Yeah, I'm sure. And found very quickly that the off-the-shelf solutions that we had been utilizing for our bicycle messenger service in way of software were not going to be sufficient to manage the regulatory specifics of cannabis products, and so. Luckily, you know, we had some close friendships that had been friends that had been working as developers uh, here in Reno. We brought them on board very quickly and and began building out a suite of software to supplement our delivery and transportation services and that's really kind of been the premise since you know today we move about a million dollars of product every day through the supply chain both in Nevada and California and we've extended our software offering throughout the United States and Canada and as in addition to Jamaica and and Puerto Rico so it's been a kind of a, a lot of rampant growth for us but a really really exciting time to be part of the industry.
2: Yeah, no, I'm sure. And I always find there's the, uh, the sort of the simple story that sounds like everything went really smoothly, but give, give us give us some of the uh, the things that were challenges <laughs> or, or hiccups that you had. I mean, I'm, I'm always curious where yeah. people ran into problems and had to quickly pivot. What yeah. were some of the learnings?
3: I mean, I would say the biggest sort of initial hurdle for us was when Nevada went from me- a medical industry to an adult use industry. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, it was a voter ballot initiative that yeah, suggested right. us adult use. Yeah. That the way that that initiative was written. It gave sort of priority or first first priority licensing to alcohol distributors here in this in our home state Uh, yeah that's right we had to sort of you know anyone can apply for an alcohol wholesale license the caveat is that the largest alcohol distributors in the world are also make up the board that approves those licenses so they weren't about to approve a license that was going to be for Blackbird who was the sort of first to market in the cannabis distribution space so we basically had no chance of getting our own liquor license and so (laughs) you know, we were able to come up with a solution really in the 11th hour that enabled us to leverage a friend of mine's alcohol wholesale license to be able to apply for our cannabis distribution license. And essentially we're the only licensed distributor 12 days into recreational sales here in Nevada mm-hmm. and basically remain the only distributor for months thereafter. So, you know, we were able to really meet the needs of the entire market and allow the market to continue functioning when it was sort of threatened its its infancy, So that was a, a major, major hurdle for us and one we thought maybe we might not overcome and yeah. our business would essentially be wiped off the face yeah. of the earth yeah. you know, before we got a chance to start.
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting in this industry. I mean, it's because, you know, these sort of the regulatory and the, um, you know, kind of market dynamics are so dynamic here that um, it happens. I mean, I've, I've certainly talked with companies that end up getting either wiped out before they can even get off the ground or companies that have been going well that ended up you know, having to kind of shut the doors because something has changed about the way the market works and they just can't pivot the business model fast enough or pivot their operations fast enough. If you kind of look at sort of the challenges of growth, what have been, I guess, what have been the big ones? Is it been people in terms of finding the right talent? Is it you know, kind of the regulatory side of things? Logistical equipment? I mean, where have you kind of run into limiting constraints around on the growth process.
3: Yeah, so we have had, you know, really wonderful luck with people. We have a really great team here at Blackbird. That's really never been a problem for us. The biggest problem from the outset of launching our business has been capital. You know, we did not raise very much capital to yeah. start our business. We setting up distribution and delivery facilities and hubs is not is a capital intensive business. Mm-hmm. But up until our acquisition, we had only raised, you know, roughly a million bucks. And so, wow, yeah. you know, had managed to become the largest distributor in the state of Nevada. And, you know, even at, at that point, one of the largest, or sorry, it had just started our entrance into California on the back of that, on the back of that million dollars. So we were really frugal, but I would say that was our biggest hurdle always was sort of a lack of capital.
2: And what's your take or kind of experience on capital availability at this point? I mean, I, I think the general perception, uh, certainly outside the industry is that, you know, there's everyone in cannabis is smart sw- swimming in money and you know, it's like everyone's got stacks of you know bills in their offices. Is that really the case? I mean, just give me a sense of how, how the capital process has been for you, where you end up finding capital, what's been kind of hard or, or maybe different from other other industries or, or capitalizing companies in the cannabis space versus other industries and what you've seen.
3: Yeah. My personal experience has been that our, our company has been capital constrained during the entire life cycle of the business. Yeah. I speak with a lot of other operators in the space and I think that the capital was pretty readily available late 2018, early, mid 2019. But recently, I think that you know, the capital markets have all but dried up, right? There's still capital to be had for great operators, but people aren't just throwing, you know, throwing money at the market because of it's sort of total opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're being more specific and selective about the businesses that they invest into and at much more, at much lower amounts. I think, you know, we've seen recently with the Leaf and Cresco raises that it seems like maybe they're the, the, Things are lightening up a little bit, and that there's some more capital coming into the market. Mm-hmm. But our experience has been very capital constrained, and maybe that's a good thing, right? It's forced us to focus on fundamentals yeah. of the business and profitability, which is, I think, helped us to scale.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, where, where, I guess, where do you see the capital coming from? Are do you see different sources of capital being more available in cannabis versus versus kind of general general company investment, early stage company investment, or what's what's been your kind of experience of Who's actually providing it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's still high net worth individuals, yeah. family offices, and cannabis-specific VC funds. Yeah. I think we're still not seeing large institutional investors in the industry as much as I think everybody would like. Yeah. And little to no sort of bank-backed financing, right? Yeah. So, like, lines of credit, you know, through Bank of America don't really, don't exist yeah. for our business. And I think that's that's really one of the biggest hurdles that that cannabis operators face today, right? Is just the cost of capital is extremely high. Like, you can't get a 4 to 6%, you know, line of credit. You're looking at venture capital money that's expect, expecting a 1, 2, 3, 10x return. And... You know, that or debt capital that's in the neighborhood of between, you know, eight and 20 percent interest.
2: Yeah. And let's talk about the operation side of this, because I think that's particularly interesting for me, just as as a, as a business person, kind of knowing the complexities of sort of a market and, and all the different things that really go into making an industry work. You know, logistics is a huge one or, or running good logistics. I guess what's been your kind of general approach or how have you seen kind of the key problems in logistics and how have you gone about solving them for cannabis companies?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think the sort of fragmented and regional nature of regulations you know, really market, I think, nationwide create a lot of hurdles when it comes to logistics, right? I mean, you can't service the entire state of California from Oakland. That's just not feasible. And so in order to service the entire state, you you know, lots of logistics operators are working on hub and spoke models. And in order to have those spokes, they have to have licenses. And so it slows down the process, right, and creates sort of choke points in the supply chain when... It's nearly impossible to get licenses in certain locations la namely has been very difficult to procure or apply for licenses it's been super license constrained and so there are choke points in the distribution abilities in that market
2: yeah and when it comes to actually the product itself so how how do you actually take possession or take you know hold of the product how do you I guess how do you organize you kind of the logistics side of you know working multiple clients you know or literally transporting I'm just kind of curious about the you know how you logistically you take the product Product and are you using your containers their containers do you like how have you figured out how to make this work from literally people going to pick up things and putting in trucks and delivering and stuff like that
3: it's really been crazy to watch the sort of industry evolve rapidly right I mean january 1st 2019 companies were still transporting products throughout California in pelican cases yeah. you know like a, as a transporter you'd go pick up a duffel bag full of joints and you'd put <laughs> that in your pelican case and you'd put it in your truck and and that is obviously not scalable yeah it was sort of a holdover from sort of like the medical market there and so we've seen that like that's really been the evolution right it's gone from grocery bags and turkey bags and pelican cases <laughs> You know, boxes sealed yeah. with per-evident tape and metric labels. And I'm proud to say that Blackbird has been sort of an advocate of sort of that evolution, yeah. starting in Nevada and then moving into California. And really, I think we're instrumental in sort of the, the creation of what the uh, transportation industry looks like in cannabis. And we're really relieved to not have Pelican cases anymore and to be transporting boxes of inventory with inventory labels and tape per-evident tape yeah. Like as if this were any other
2: product. Yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with security? I mean you're you're moving product that is not only, you know, highly valuable, but you know, it's highly regulated, needs to be obviously tracked, you know, very, very well. How have you approached the security aspect of, of this?
3: Yeah. I mean, we think of this product in a very similar fashion to alcohol and tobacco, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't, our delivery drivers are not armed. You know, Mm -hmm. our vehicles are very well equipped with security, with cameras in some instances, tracking Mm -hmm. devices always, uh, cages for the product, you know, Mm -hmm. locked cages for the product. But we sort of look at it as this is a perishable item. Mm -hmm. It's important that the item is transported in a manner that doesn't diminish the product whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, And we treat it very similar to alcohol, but tobacco, like I said, where the most important Thing is maintaining the quality of the product and a truck full of cannabis isn't more valuable than a truck full of alcohol right yeah. and so we sort of we take very similar measures to how you would distribute alcohol
2: throughout the supply chain No. Yeah. and how Curious how you sort of develop business, how you get clients. I mean, it would have has just the nature of the market and your reputation mean that you've you've got people coming to you for services, or are you out there marketing and selling? And you know what outside of the business look like?
3: Yeah, we do both. I mean, we have a fantastic sales team mm-hmm. that sells both our services and our software offerings. We have built a good name and reputation for ourselves over time as well, so we deal with a lot of inbounds also. But no, we're still doing outbound sales calls. I mean, our team is aggressive. In search of new clients and onboarding new clients all the time.
2: And technology-wise, I ran a technology company for over a decade. I know some of the challenges of you know finding good technologists, software development methodology challenges, figuring out technical stacks and testing frameworks and integration systems. How I guess tell us a little bit about how you've kind of evolved, you know, both sort of the team and the technology development process uh, as you've evolved.
3: Yeah, I mean, I would say we were really lucky in hiring and recruiting technologists that not only had experience scaling large platforms, but are also really excited about the industry and really excited about evolving their knowledge around around building technology offerings. So our tech stack not only is cutting edge for cannabis, but cutting edge, I think, for the software industry as a whole. Our stack is really deep. Everything is built on an API. So it's a, it's just a really exciting product to continue to watch evolve. And it's a product with a lot of different pieces, right? Because yeah. we really start by normalizing the creation of inventory, something that very few, if any other cannabis technology platforms have done so that we can aggregate valuable and normalized data. And then leverage that data to return insights in the form of advertising back to our clients. So it's been a really, you know, it's been a really exciting process to watch. And today, like the number of applications that we maintain is just steadily growing, right? We have inventory management for wholesalers, inventory management for retailers, POS functionality for retailers, a customer center, which includes loyalty, loyalty and rewards programs. We make it possible for retailers and soon to be brands to build a list of customers and and text messages and advertising to their list of consumers. Mm-hmm. And then we also manage the delivery aspect, both wholesale and retail through a driver app, as well as offer e-commerce functionalities for retailers and soon wholesalers. So a, a big stack of technology and one that we've been able to scale to you know a significant amount of users, both sort of on the customer end. I mean we have over 750 clients, 1700 brands on our platform, a couple hundred thousand verified users on our e-commerce platform and really millions of visitors on a monthly basis.
2: And most of this technology you've developed in-house, or have you acquired, integrated? What's been your sort of tech strategy there?
3: Yeah, so we've developed all of it in-house. As part of the sort of Tilt Holdings business combination and our subsequent acquisition, we have also integrated with other technology businesses under the Tilt umbrella, and most notably those companies include Baker technologies and brightside Baker technologies probably the most significant of the integrations and that is what now represents our sort of customer center offering which is the loyalty rewards and text
2: messaging that I mentioned yeah yeah we had David on program oh, nice. a while ago it's been several months probably maybe even over a year ago and I, I met David years ago in New York and it's been fun it was fun to kind of follow his his stuff in the Baker story so and, and I guess like when you look at your strategic roadmap and product roadmap roadmap, how are you kind of looking at the future in terms of, are you you know looking at more acquisitions, more kind of product and services? I mean, what's the, without giving away any super secret corporate details, but like, with, how do you kind of approach that strategic planning process, acquisition process when it comes to evolving your, the company and the holdings?
3: Yeah. So I think that, you know, we're always entertaining strategic acquisitions that fit well, not only with our tech stack, but really from a cultural perspective, right? And within the vision of our holdings company at Blackbird, I mean, what we're very, very, very focused on is offerings that allow us to touch more transactions throughout the supply chain, right? I mean, in a perfect world, we're touching every transaction in the supply chain. And so we can aggregate a vast amount of data and like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. return it back to, you know, return it back to operators to help them grow their businesses. So we're always looking at a way to gain market share in sort of the in that in the supply
2: chain part of the business. Yeah, sure. And what's your I guess what's your take on the sort of the evolution of the market that's, at this point, right? So we've got all these, you know, states which have, you know, passed various laws around, you know, medical and adult use and Canada's now kind of coming on board. Is there any particular kind of structural change that you see in the industry, you know, either in general or specific coming down that that is going to change the nature of how you do business or how you kind of approach things. Just always curious for people that are operating in multiple states, like how they're kind of envisioning potential regulatory changes as changing the way they approach business, either strategically or operationally.
3: Yeah, I mean, our view of the landscape hasn't changed much. And that's not to say we had it pinned down perfectly, but basically our view was everything's going to change. So let's, you know,
2: <laughs> the only <laughs> constant is change. Yeah.
3: yeah, exactly. So let's build software that doesn't hitch its wagon to really one set of rules. Right. Right and i think the the sort of foundation of that is how blackbird creates a product in its software and the way that we create a product and its ability to then sort of cross regulatory boundaries because mm-hmm. of how high level you know abstracted we were able to make that product creation while still normalizing it mm-hmm. has really been the the genesis of success of our software platform mm-hmm. you know i think we nailed that one we knew it was yeah. going to we knew The landscape was going to be rapidly evolving. And what we didn't want to do is build technology products that we had to recreate, like essentially create a new instance for every single state. Right. Like that's not scalable. That's not the technology product that we wanted to create. And so so we didn't. We were able to abstract that out enough. To make it so that our software can cross state lines.
2: Yeah, it's great. That's it always the I mean, kind of the the technical challenge or the the technical process of figuring out. To what level do you abstract? To what model do you abstract to? I guess. What do you think allowed you to kind of nail that strategically in terms of kind of abstracting at the right level, you know, in the right way that was going to manage? I mean, was this you know long strategy sessions and whiteboards, you know, doing data modeling and and you know kind of software modeling to kind of help me figure this out was Was it the right people that kind of knew the industry? Was it you know making a couple of good bets on how things are gonna play out, or did it just kind of naturally occur through your business process as you kind of looked at how you needed to you know manage and operationalize the the business?
3: No, yeah, I mean you you nailed it. I mean it was a lot of strategy sessions and a lot of whiteboarding. And I think that our technology team kind of saw the writing on the wall how, for whatever reason and sort of, you know, we were very, very lucky to start in a state like Nevada. Nevada had a very short-lived medical program and evolved that into a very robust adult use program very quickly. Yeah. Today, I mean, it's just one of the best-run programs in the country in my estimation. Mm-hmm. And we sort of had that as our sort of guide to building our software and we're very, very fortunate in the, how that sort of panned out for us and how it related to other cannabis programs. But the next state that we moved into was California. And the program there is very different. And I think that's a testament to not only our ability to kind of pivot from an operational standpoint, but as we're talking about right now, like how we built our platform and its ability to scale, you know, not only nationally, but globally based on the infrastructure and the level of abstraction that we created within the, the technology itself.
2: Yeah, let's talk about the- the global stuff a little bit what have you seen as being similar or what's different as you look globally and i don't know if, if you kind of look at it from a you know market by market like what's going on in canada versus europe you know or do you just see that there's there's a just a global market that you know you're now looking at how do you treat cannabis at a global level or the cannabis market as a at a global level give me some insights there
3: yeah it's sort of segmented for us right i mean there's the u.s there's canada there's europe There's South America. That's kind of how we're thinking about the market today. And real quickly, I mean, Canada has been a really interesting rollout. I think we predicted some of the issues that would happen there with oversupply and the inability to export globally. So we're kind of prepared for that. The distribution model up there is. Is tricky with sort of it's sort of a state-run model, and yeah. some provinces and another is you know is privatized. So you know we've been reluctant to sort of dip our toe in from a services perspective. So sure. from a technology perspective, we we have technology clients there already that are utilizing primarily our retail offering. So that's been a, Canada is a good market for us. We expect it to be even better in the future. Europe is a very interesting market, but it is sort of slowly evolving as well. Mm-hmm. The guy you know sort of the way that cannabis is distributed in that market is really through the infrastructure, the pharmacy infrastructure. Yeah. And so just kind of waiting to see more how that's going to play out as more sort of countries and regions come online. And then just really kind of wait again, waiting to see what happens in South America. Yeah. So Techno really poised for to expand and scale our technology globally, but sort of waiting to see what happens from a service offering perspective.
2: Yeah, you have a pre- pretty global view of, of the market, just the nature of your business, and uh, you know how many sort of clients you touch and perspective you have. I'm, I'm curious where you see opportunity. You know, for people listening here, either that are. Creating businesses or or companies that are outside cannabis, thinking about pivoting into cannabis. Is there anything that you sort of see as as an interesting opportunity? If you, if you were going to start a new business, you know, you weren't you weren't working on this one, and we're going to start something new. Where would it be? I'm kind of I'm curious where you see some problems that need to be solved that you know some people with yeah. good ideas could come in and and create some new businesses around.
3: I I think that there's a lot of opportunity in Europe and South America. You know, just from my perspective as an entrepreneur, I like sort of early stage markets, right? There are a lot more problems in need of solutions. And as markets come online and mature, Sort of the problems and the exciting and the excitement around being able to solve them sort of turn into, you know, iterating on existing product and the new problems that sort of have surfaced. So, yeah, for me, if I was going to build a business in cannabis outside of the business that I already currently have, it would be sort of solving for problems that are going to
2: exist in the European or South American markets. Yeah. Good insights. This has been a pleasure, Tim. If people want to find out more about you, about Blackbirds, about Tilden, what's the best way to get that information? So
3: they can go to tiltholdings.com or myblackbird.com or go on to blackbirdgo.com and uh, order products for pickup or delivery uh,
2: from a dispensary
3: or brand near them.
2: Awesome. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time. I look yeah. forward to kind of seeing how things play out. We'll, we'll do a follow-up episode at some point as uh, as the industry develops, as your business develops, but uh, fascinating space. And I really appreciate the insights you shared today.
3: Fantastic, Bruce. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.